Jonathan Yee. Mr. Diamond. We are close to the end. Yes, we are. And I don't know exactly what end are we talking about, Johnny? I think we're at week 15. <laughs> Last time we, we lied and said week 13. You know, th- that's when you know, right? That's when you know that things are, when, when our minds are not, you know, right quite there anymore. Our heads aren't screwed on right. That's when you know it's like, oh, we're nearing the end. So I believe we're going to week 15. And you have been doing better than me because you're still waking up on time and you've been running. I have not been running as much. Well, I mean, you're still ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the competition's over. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I think it ends like officially this Sunday or something like that. I think so as well. But the competition's over, but school is not. We have like a we have one more week and we're actually like pleasantly ahead of I think everything. I think we've pretty much wrapped up all of our week for the school year. Now we're just like recapping, prepping, and then we have finals. Yeah, and and on top of that, I think. Well, actually, not. It's not on top of that, but yeah, I, I I mean, the indicator for me is I have my assignments written on my whiteboard, and those assignments are are gone, and there's just empty class names without any assignments under it, and it's a great feeling, and and. Every time I knock down another thing that I need to do, like I know that's the last time I'm going to be doing that assignment forever. <laughs> yeah, that's a great must be a great feeling. I I know my time in some of these classes are coming to an end cuz I'm working on a take home final 2 uh-huh. weeks out from my final date, which is, you know, that must tell you something, but I'm working on my final our final should be done pretty early too, so I'm looking forward to taking half a week off of school and getting some stuff done, and should be nice. Yes, sir. Should be nice. Now, we're talking all of this, but we actually have a really good episode coming up right now, right? And, you know, this is courtesy of, of a very good person, amazing being. I am making this sound weird, but Andrew, why don't you introduce who and what we're going to be talking about. So today we have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Nakjiri. Um, He's a tenured professor at CPP and has done a ton of work at CPP to develop the astronautics program at the school. And he's one of the directors of the astronautics, they call it the astronautics laboratory. Um, Mm -hmm. Along with Dr. Edberg, they work together to create like an amazing curriculum and they've started some awesome projects and are some you guys will hear a little bit more about this, but both Dr. Edberg and Dr. Nakjiri have some really awesome um, design projects that they that they uh, have us do, and just they have a great reputation. So, super awesome professor, amazing guy, super smart. He's super big brain, <laughs> as, <laughs> as some of our friends would say. And uh, yeah, it's a blessing to have him at the school, and I, I love working with him, even though I don't get to work with him as much as I I wish I could. Right. So, you know, it it was a great conversation that we had. We hope you guys enjoy it. We hope it's very informative. And and if you guys have any questions and if you guys want to bring them on again, because we do mention that in the podcast, then please email us or reach out to us in the ways that you guys do. Some of us, some of you guys have reached out to us through LinkedIn and stuff like that. So we will respond. So 
yeah, but we hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Dr. Nakjiri, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, you are a great professor at our school. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he's a professor of ast astronautics, um, and I'll let him explain who he is and what he does. Uh, but he's a, a great professor at Cal Poly Pomona. So go ahead and take it away, Dr. Nakjiri. Yeah, hi, and thank you for uh, a quick but very kind introduction. So um, it's my pleasure to be here. I was excited to hear more about uh, what you guys are doing here. And I think it's it seems very interesting. I'm going to you know, uh, see if you can explain a little bit more after this. Um, what is your you know, basically reason and objective for this? Uh, podcast because I think um, you're on a very interesting track over here but yeah uh, anything that you want me to say about myself first or anything that is necessary to start um, yeah if you want to you have quite a, uh, an impressive for lack of a better term like course you know career you've had, yeah career educational career Edu yes. educational career and you know you've done so much for our school as well so if you want to talk about that for a little bit and then we could get into more of the other questions that we had uh yeah i can definitely talk to that um so i i think i would start from you know the um early on and uh basically talk about what I did as a student, basically, and what was my interest and how I get in here into Cal Poly Pomona. But um, technically, uh, it all, you know, professionally starts from my graduate school over here in the US. And um, I was in aerospace before I started, you know, uh, my bachelor in aerospace engineering and then I moved here to California. I went to University of California, Irvine to work with a very particular advisor that I wanted to um, do my PhD with. And uh, that was mostly in orbital mechanics and astronautics. And um, eventually uh, I, I had to finish my degree very quickly because he was leaving school. Wow. So I, I doubled everything that I had to do for the last few years in my grad school, which actually opened a lot of interesting doors for me. But um, I knew always that I wanted to you know, go to university. So that was one of the first choices in terms of career. And uh, then Cal Poly Pomona offered me an opportunity. I didn't look further. So I basically you know, said, sure, I'll start here. And that's how I ended up at Cal Poly Pomona, but I can, you know, explain more about any part of this if you ever want to know. But um, getting to Cal Poly Pomona was um, basically the beginning of a different path for me because that was not necessarily the same um, idea that I had about a faculty position, but Cal Poly Pomona is a different school. And... Um, it required me to, you know, change a lot. And I'm very happy that I had uh, some good mentors here at Cal Poly Pomona. Dr. Edberg is one of them um, who started um, this process of creating these courses for astronautics here. And then they hired me at Cal Poly Pomona. Uh, they told me that we are hiring you because we want you to uh, help Dr. Edberg to create an astronautic emphasis area. 
and all the courses that is related to astronautics in this program. So that was the vision that um, at the time the department had, but never had the resources to do that. Um, the surprising thing is that when we started working on this, we imagined that maybe a quarter or maybe less than a quarter of the students are going to be interested in astronautics, so we can keep a small you know, <laughs> population. But the first year that we started offering astronautic <clears throat> courses, about more than 50% of the students took astronautic courses wow. and started you know, going to spacecraft design and launch vehicle design, which are the two um, basically pinnacles or to uh, capstone experience for, for the astronautics emphasis in undergraduate program. So we were very surprised, but uh, it was a journey for the last six years or seven years, almost wow. seven years that I have been here at Cal Poly Pomona. And um, I think uh, a lot of that comes from uh, the work that Dr. Erberg started many years ago and also a lot of collaboration that I had with different people at school and outside school, especially JPL, that uh, helped me to, you know, basically find uh, things that are interesting for our students to explore. So that being said, it's, you know, just a you know, quick way of telling you why I'm here now and what is the state right now, but definitely I can, you know, uh, explain more on any part of this if you're interested. But tell me about yeah. your your podcast. I'd like to you know hear about <laughs> why you're doing this and what is what is the purpose that you started this. Yeah, do you do you want to take it, Johnny, or you want me to? Um, I, I I think I mean Andrew, you can take it on this one, man. And then I'll so, add in. Yeah. Um. So me and Johnny both come from a kind of similar experience. We are both transfers. So, um. We, we came, you know, we went through the whole community college thing. And I, I originally I was actually in a completely different major. I was in business and <laughs> I had switched into, to, I was like, I want to do engineering. I don't know what kind yet, but I want to do engineering. So I went back to CC and, uh, the experience, I wasn't the best student in JC or even in when I was attending school for business. Cause I just wasn't as interested as I was now. Um, and so when I got back to CC, I, I, I did okay. And like, I, I got through it, but my biggest, uh, like issue was transitioning into CPP. It was, it was quite the transition. And so I went from a C, uh, JC where I was taking three or four classes, three really maximum. And then I, my first semester at Cal Poly Pomona, I took seven classes <laughs> and it just totally threw me for a loop. I told Johnny, I had so many like bad days at school for my first two, three weeks. Cause I was just like, wow, I'm not going to make it through this major. I'm not cut out for it. I just, I can't do it. So me and Johnny were talking about it one time and I was like, man, a podcast sounds cool. We like, we're both nerds. We like, you know, aerospace and we talk about it quite more than we'd probably like to admit. And so we were like, hey, why don't we do a podcast where we talk about aerospace and school and we also incorporate like, hey, for the community college student out there that's struggling, that doesn't know where they're going. Why don't we try to offer guidance? And so that is a huge focus for us. Um, we want to, you know, be there for students. And as so far as right now, even though we're pretty small, a lot of people have actually like reached out, which is really awesome to see because like, like we said, we want to be there, that resource. But um, that's one of our focus. And then of course, you know, talking about what's going on in, in aerospace, what's going on. Like we had an episode that I think you would love. We we're talking about um, orbital debris. 
and like how in the future that's, you know, potentially going to be an issue. So maybe start thinking about that now. And I even told Johnny, Hey, that would be a good senior project. <laughs> and, um, but you know, stuff like that. And, and I think so far we're doing what we want to do and having fun with it. And, you know, right. it's been helpful and, and, you know, just something new. It's something to have fun with. Okay. No, I'm, I, I think it's a great story. It's a great story about how you end up here and doing this. And I, I admire, you know, the, the courage to, you know, start something like this because I, I have tried many times to convince friends of mine to do something like this and never happened. So uh, that's, that's a very proud. good, that's a very good point to bring up Dr. Nocturi. Cause I think I remember Andrew brought this up to me. He's like, Hey, I want to do a podcast. And I was like, oh, okay. Like what is this podcast going to be? He's like aerospace. And I was like, that's because we always hear about, I, I don't know how often you heard this yourself, Dr. Nocturi, but I, I tell people, hey, I, I'm, I'm in aerospace engineering. Like, that's really niche. That's really yeah. narrow. And and I kind of had that same mentality when it came to this podcast. I was like, we're only going to talk about airplanes and, and you know, rockets and, and something in that realm. And he's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I, I guess maybe there's an audience out there for that. And uh, maybe they want to hear what we have to say. And uh, lo and behold, I mean, at the end of the day, even if there is no audience, I think we're really enjoying ourselves. And um, it, it's just a bonus to be able to be get input from people saying that this is actually helping them out and extremely informative. And so, uh, yeah, it, I, I think Andrew's the one that really pulled me in and I, I just was like, okay, I guess I'll do it. But we're having a lot of fun along with this. So can't really that's, complain. That's wonderful. But yeah, it reminds me of something that um, not at the um, college time, but I, I did when I was a little bit younger in the high school time with a couple of my friends and we started a blog and at that time blog was something <laughs> starting, you know, not, not too popular, but people started, you know, getting into this. We were just high school students and uh, so passionate about astronomy and we started a blog and it eventually turned into one of the most popular blogs in the country for, for the wow. time. Uh, because there were nobody else and there were just a few other, you know, people doing the same thing in that field. Um, so yeah, keep doing what you're doing because if you like it, you will, you will definitely, you know, have the audience for it. And it's just a matter of, you know, time until you can, you know, create the, uh, interest and, um, the, the platform that you're looking for. And, uh, I definitely see a lot of, you know, good points in what you're doing. So on the same topic, because you brought it up, I just got to ask, you said that you try to convince your friends to start a podcast. What what were your thoughts in, on starting a podcast? What kind of podcast would you host? So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of ideas, but the one that I was always very excited about, I, I, I wanted to do a storytelling type science um, ideas. So if, I, I don't know if, you know, you have explored, you know, different podcasts, but uh, Radiolab is one of my favorites. So that's one of the, you know, type of understanding that I have about the storytelling, but in the, in terms of what uh, is going on, on a scientific phenomena or what is going on on an engineering or some, some cool, you know, technology, but it is based on some aspect of a storytelling that you engage the audience. So I always wanted to, you know, try to do that, but um, in my own 
uh, in my native language, not not in English, because I know that uh, there are a lot of you know interest in uh, uh, basically people uh, back in my country and. Uh, they like to, you know, hear about science and technology, and maybe we could, you know, do something like that. But it never happened. We have we had other ideas too, uh, but <laughs> you know, the the life is getting busier and busier. So if you don't start <laughs> early, it's never gonna happen later in time. Right. Yeah. Right. That that was definitely like it is hard to do something like this, but and it was definitely when we first started. I felt. I mentioned our last episode, I felt very like exposed in a way. I felt like, oh, people are going to listen to this and they're going to think it's dumb or whatever it is. And I was like, I kind of let that bother me at first. But then when people actually started giving positive feedback, I was like, eh, who cares what people think? You know, it's, we're having fun. And at the end of the day, if we help at least just one person and, you know, have fun with it, it doesn't matter. Right, right. So if you ever want to start a podcast, <laughs> we'll be happy to help. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the logistic is, uh, you know, so it's usually very difficult to, you know, figure out at the beginning. But for me, the most drawback and also for my friends is, you know, when you start uh, diving into your job and uh, you basically try to find more and more opportunities to grow, then things that they are usually categorized as hobby, they 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 tend to go, you know, on the side. So, right. and, you know, we are at that stage that we are trying so hard to, you know, figure out where we are headed and uh, how we can, you know, optimize our time. So I think I have to wait another few years until I'm after mid, mid, you know, midlife crisis and everything, <laughs> I can, you know, settle, out, settle down with, you know, some other hobbies that I like to continue. And maybe at that time I can, you know, reach out. Yeah, no, we'd, we'd be very happy to support you and listen in and see what you have to say about the stuff. And hey, I, I'd Thank be you. down to support it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, but, Dr. Na oh, no, no, go ahead. Say, go ahead, Jared. So, Dr. Nakhtiar, you were saying that, you know, you, you, I guess there's a lot of growth that you want to have happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, you're speaking from a, I, I would hope that you're speaking from a place of, uh, I guess, education and the program at Cal Poly Pomona the aerospace program or the astronautics program. So I was wondering what your, since since you're on that topic, are there any goals that you have in mind in the, in the near future or out, out the far out that you're hoping to implement into the aerospace program at Cal Poly Pomona? Yeah, that's a, that's a good um, question. And it's a, it's a hard one to answer actually, because there are <laughs> a lot of, you know, ideas that we usually explore, but uh, what I like to do is not necessarily, you know, uh, uh, just uh, related to, you know, what we can, you know, do in the curriculum. It's all also about, you know, how the department can actually grow as um, a, a place to uh, connect students and connect, you know, more um, of the people involved in the department to other others outside. So it's, it's kind of, you know, uh, on the edge of uh, basically opening doors for Capali Pomona Aerospace and uh, see how I can you know, contribute to that. It's not something that other faculty are not doing. They are also doing their own uh, share of this, but uh, I, have an, I have a special interest in you know, uh, space missions and I have a special interest in you know, space technologies. And uh, now that we are actually getting to 
the time that space technology is getting more popular and more demanded by the industry, I think it's a great time for Capital Ipomona to show its capability in that area too. So there are a lot of um, plans that uh, we have for future. There are a lot of things that are happening right now. I can you know, tell you, for example, in the lab that um, basically I am overseeing the astronautics lab, um, we are trying to create a, a unique program to involve more satellite type projects at Cal Poly Pomona, starting from the CubeSat projects, which is not an uncommon thing to find in aerospace program around the country, but it's kind of you know late for Cal Poly Pomona to join that game. Uh, although we have tried before, I think uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, Dr. Edberg had a few interesting CubeSat projects that eventually they ended up doing some uh, zero gravity flight in NASA Vomit Comet. So that, that's uh, part of the previous experience. But now we are trying to you know, see how we can fit and become relevant rather, rather than just doing these projects because we can or because everybody's doing, but see how we can, you know, make it uh, a little bit of, um, you know, being on the uh, front of the technology development on particular areas in uh, CubeSat technology. So that's one of the biggest projects that I'm working with. And uh, I'm lucky that I have a good partner, NASA JPL in this, that they realize the talent and the potential that the Cal Poly can actually bring to the table uh, for them. Um, something like a CubeSat, uh, which is a small satellite, and you think it's probably very low cost, and it is correct, it is very low cost. And when you take it to some place like government facility, it's gonna you know, cost tenfold of that unit you know, cost. And therefore there is not a lot of interest in it, although there are benefits if somebody can develop it for a much lower price. So that's why university are interested in this kind of technology because they don't have that overhead and they can get involved in technology development and do something interesting. The problem is that most universities that they do CubeSat, they only have a very primitive uh, payload to fly on those CubeSats. So they become kind of, you know, demonstration of what we can do, not an actual scientific instrument that can provide a lot of data and be relevant to the technology and the field. But if you have a good partner like JPL that they have a lot of technologies they wanna fly, but they can because it's very expensive for them, that opens a good door for us to say, we can do it for you. And if you can show that you have the talent and the potential, they're willing to do that. And uh, that's something that happened in the last two years, I believe with some collaboration that I had with them. And now we are trying the first uh, technology on one of the projects here in the um, in the lab at Cal Poly Pomona. And um, if we are successful, we basically don't just fly a technology, we are basically creating a framework and some sort of a standard for doing CubeSat in a different way. And that can uh, be shared with other universities too, if they want to you know, get involved with more advanced type of mission design and technology demonstration using these small platform. So that takes a lot of time from me right now. So that's one of the areas that I'd like to you know, grow as well. I'm learning a lot about these satellites. I'm not a very hands-on person when it comes to electronics and 
these kind of things. Uh, so I am coming from a more theoretical and more uh, you know numerical background in my expertise, but um, I'm learning and uh, you probably know better that Capoli Pomona has a, a lot of students that they come with these hands-on experience and they grow in Capoli Pomona and then they get to projects like these, um, they, they have something to say. And uh, I like to you know, give that opportunity to them uh, through these projects so they can grow more and they can secure better opportunities for future. And I'm sure uh, there is also interest in the student body for these kind of activities. But that's one thing. It's a long answer. I'm sorry. I usually, you know, talk a lot. Um, but uh, the other, you know, aspect that I'm trying to explore how we can expand the program is definitely on the courses and uh, what we can, you know, offer to the undergraduate student, what we can offer to the graduate student. So for both programs, um, the idea in growing in that area is mostly based on understanding what the industry needs. So what I do is, again, contacting my uh, network of people in aerospace uh, companies and uh, research facilities and government entities. And through a lot of collaborations that we have, through a lot of conversation that we have, through research grants and all of these things, you start realizing what are the relevant topics that people are interested to explore. And um, when you want to, you know, look for what would be relevant in next 10 years, you have to, you know, go and see what are the interests in the community in terms of um, fundamental research, in terms of uh, the areas of technology development that they're looking to explore now. And if you are ahead of a game and try to train students that they have those skills and they have those talents, then they are going to be the people who are going to work on those proposals that people are submitting right now. So that's how I get my you know, inspiration of what we should you know, do in terms of course development and in terms of what we should uh, uh, expand in the program especially in my field, which is relevant to astronautics. But um, a lot of conversation with people outside looking at uh, software and programs that are interesting for the industry that uh, they want to see in the resume of the students graduating from this program, looking at uh, areas of um, basically research and explorations that uh, could fit within the classes that we teach, or it could, you know, turn into a new elective course or uh, something like that. So those are the areas that I like to, you know, grow and help the department to grow. And um, I think we have done a quite large number of those in the last few years, especially with the effort for doing the semester conversion, which was... Uh, nightmare but also an opportunity <laughs> because we had that uh quick way of introducing a lot of new courses and creating you know a new path for students which we ended up using that opportunity and creating astronautic emphasis area here in the program yeah I, I would say that you know i don't have a ton of experience with your projects necessarily but the work that i heard that you and dr edberg do as well 
like the projects that you guys are able to get or secure for Cal Poly Pomona just every time blows my mind. And, you know, every time I hear about it, I'm like, Johnny knows this from firsthand experience. I, I feel like every time I hear of a project, I'm like, oh, I want to do that. And it was just today I heard about another project from you. And I'm, I'm just like, ah, man, th there's so much to do in such short time. Um, but like every time I hear of all the cool things that are going on at CPP, it just blows my mind. So, yeah, I would say you guys are doing a great job with it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You, you, Dr. Nacho, you, you got to understand, Andrew just wants to do everything. And, uh, and it, it, it's, it's really great. Like yeah, he's very passionate. And so he just he just, he just just hears of a project and he immediately wants to jump on it. And so yeah. it's just, that's, that's what he does. I think it's good, especially for <laughs> undergraduate student. That's, that's definitely what you should do. If you are a good student, you have tried to expand your knowledge in different areas and different fields because you never know where you're going to end up after right. graduation. Undergraduate doesn't put you in your permanent job for the rest of your life. You're going to, you know, go from one position to another position, even within a company, it may require a different skill set. And if you have that experience, even a small experience from your undergraduate, you know, projects, that can be significant to, to start uh, a new project in, you know, your next position. So that, that, that would be uh, definitely a wise advice to, to give anyone to, to try to, you know, expand and diversify their knowledge when you are an undergraduate, program, undergraduate student. Right. Yeah, I, I think we can definitely attest to that because, and like, I mean, I I took uh, uh, Dobbs Professor Dobbs class for systems, and I'm actually doing systems for NGCP now, yeah. and um, I I I'm kind of going into a systems position in my internship out, uh, you know, in the summer, and so that and and a systems course is often not an undergrad course, but luckily our school offers it as an undergrad course for aerospace program, and I'm pretty sure um, a lot of the other classes that we want to introduce in for our university or the ones that are, are, are possibly ones that would follow in suit in that same manner for students to take it and to be encouraged or find their passion and, and to be able to go into their career based off of those classes. And so um, mm -hmm. I really appreciate you, Professor, for creating those kinds of opportunities, even though it's not in my area of <laughs> necessarily interest, but you know, I, I, I wouldn't mind possibly taking an astro course as an elective as i still do have one though i have that filled i might still take more because i have i have plenty of time <laughs> good good i'm trying to sucker him into taking tra trajectory optimization but so far i don't oh, yeah. think he's going for it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a good course and uh not necessarily related to systems but uh <laughs> definitely you know gives you although systems engineering they, there are a lot of optimization that happens in systems engineering so uh, the techniques might be relevant, but the course is a little bit more on the uh, math side of the optimization. So it might yeah. be interesting if you like it. And you know that most of the classes that I teach are heavy on math. And, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Professor. Yeah, definitely no. Go ahead. Yeah, I actually, so there was something that you said earlier on when you were referring to your I guess you were introducing yourself and saying how you came into Cal Poly Pomona through Dr. Edberg. And you said that Cal Poly Pomona is different. And so I was wondering what you mean by different coming from someone that is uh, going to possibly become an instructor. Uh, what, what were your reasons for coming into Cal Poly Pomona, I guess? 
Um, so I would say why I said it's different and it was different first because uh, that was uh, something that um, I was not basically expecting to happen in my professional life at that moment. So I, I always, I was involved in teaching from very early on. So I had been teaching classes for a very long time before I actually come to Cal Poly Pomona in different capacity, in different, you know, uh, levels. And um, I knew that I'm going to, you know, be involved with some sort of a teaching for the rest of my life uh, because I also enjoy it. So that's, that's an important part of it. Um, but the idea was that I was more of a research person and uh, that's the area that I wanted to go in and continue my, you know, professional uh, career. So I wanted to uh, stay on the research track. And Cal Poly Pomona is not a research university. <laughs> it is mostly a teaching university. Right. And not that I was not aware of it when I made the decision, but I thought that, okay, I can, you know, try and bring my own research experience into into the school and uh, maybe I can, you know, do whatever I like uh, after a while. And very early on, I realized that that's not, that's not what I'm looking at at Cal Poly Pomona. Um, <laughs> It, it is in, intense in terms of, you know, the coursework. It is intense in terms of, you know, what you have to, you know, do in terms of service to the university and very little time for you to develop any sort of um, research program, especially in the first few years. But I was uh, not necessarily, you know, unmotivated to do what I wanted to do. So I, I realized that the way that I should, you know, do research is, is different in this university is not what I was expecting. It was not like a traditional uh, research institution that you go in, you have a lot of time, you have a lot of you know students uh, with advanced degrees in graduate program, in PhD, in postdoc, and they can you know help you to develop an entire program. Um, early on, I learned from Dr. Bundari that one of the ways that you can do uh, high-level quality type research at Cal Poly Pomona is to have a lot of good students and don't just, you know, take two or three students and try to do research, T take 10 and 20 and try to, you know, uh, organize them the way that you can get uh, something interesting out of them. And that was his advice to me. And uh, I, I explored it. And uh, I can't say that it was very successful in the first few years, but eventually I learned how to, you know, uh, create a system that works for me and also works for the students that are doing research and projects uh, under my supervision. And um, it took a few years, but eventually I found a way to do uh, these kind of interesting projects that may not be fundamental research, but they are actually very cool, uh, technology relevant uh, and um, inspiring genotype projects that I find uh, even more engaging for myself to to be part of it rather than a fundamental research that I can you know sit in the corner and just work for myself for a few days without you know looking out and finding out what is happening outside, right? Um, so I like I like the 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 way that I'm doing research now. Um, it's definitely different from what I was 
planning to do. It's definitely different from what I was envisioning for myself, but uh, that's the part that I said it was a different experience for me. Um, but the second part of your question, I forgot. What was the second part? I I honestly I forgot to Andrew. Do you remember? I was such a great answer. That I, I I know I we, we just forgot. we just kind of got sucked into <laughs> what you were saying. Um, yeah, so, but I, I think you, you want, I think it was uh, you said why did I choose to come Capoli? Is that yes 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 yeah? So that's a story to tell. <laughs> I mean, if you're not comfortable sharing your professor, that is no, it's, fine. it's yeah. completely fine. Um, I think I mentioned that my, my advisor had to, you know, leave school very early on. So uh, usually a typical PhD program takes maybe five, six years uh, to finish. And that's a typical length of, you know, starting a PhD program and finishing with uh, your work. But mine ended in less than four years. So I had to, you know, do that because uh, in the middle of my uh, work, uh, my advisor uh, realized that uh, he wants to, you know, go to industry, and he doesn't want to, you know, stay in university. And he said, "Okay, I'm gonna leave by December, so you should defend by December." <laughs> and that put me on a very, you know, interesting experience in my life to uh, not only finish my uh, work. But as an international student, I had to find a job. Otherwise, I had to you know, leave the country after graduation. So it was an interesting experience, a stressful, but I started applying um, everywhere that I could you know, possibly think is relevant to me uh, in industry. But I knew that I wouldn't get any position because I was not a U.S. citizen and uh, for non-US citizen, it's really, really difficult to find an aerospace-related uh, position in any company. Uh, it is possible, but definitely very, very challenging and limited. Um, so I was not hoping to get any position. So the plan was to find a postdoc position, which is technically what you do before you become a professor in a university, before you get into a tenure uh, track position or tenure track position, you go on a postdoc. And what the postdoc does is it's giving you time to search for a faculty position while you're still doing research in a different group. And it also teaches you how to do your job as a faculty. So basically it's a transition time between being a student and being a faculty. And it's a great experience. And um, I was um, basically trying to find uh, a postdoc position that is relevant to my area. So I was in conversation with multiple places, including uh, NASA JPL for postdoc positions. And before I get an answer, I, uh, I basically got an answer from Cal Poly Pomona. And how did I apply for Cal Poly Pomona? That's basically, I was invited to give a talk while I was still a PhD student to uh, the AAA chapter at Cal Poly Pomona. Mm. And uh, it was an invitation from Dr. Amadi, which uh, invited me to you know, come and talk. And uh, we talked uh, after that, and he told me that 
there is a you know open position later on if you're interested and you're graduating uh, maybe you want to you know apply and I did apply and I didn't apply to any other school to be a faculty because I needed to you know get my postdoc position to go to any research school so that was the only school that I applied for a faculty position and when when they offered me the job uh, I went to my advisor and said, okay, I have a faculty position. It's a 10-year <laughs> track position, uh, and it is here. It's not too far away, so I don't need to even move or you know, change anything in my lifestyle. And uh, do you still think that I should look for a postdoc position? And he said that if you're crazy, because the whole point <laughs> of the postdoc position is to get into a faculty position, so why do you want to do that? So, And... That basically, you know, ended my search for anything else. And I accepted the position. And uh, then I uh, started, you know, thinking about any, anything else that can come uh, out of that. But um, not a very exciting story. But no, it's really good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's really a good true to, story. And it like, it's also as corny as it sounds, you never know what like opportunity you're going to get when you go do something like a talk and you end up talking to Dr. Amadi. But um, getting back on the topic, since CPP wasn't your original choice, uh, and you said all that about, you know, your uh, research is a lot different here at Cal Poly Pomona, do you ever consider or think about, you know, going back to a, a research in institution that you, like, originally came from or something like that? Or have you adapted enough to CPP and you have plans for CPP that you want to stay now? Um, so, again... Very interesting question and very um, relevant to, you know, what we were talking and uh, the answer, the honest answer is, uh, and I don't like to admit it, but I have to. So, so a lot of my friends that they didn't go through this path and they went to, you know, research university probably don't like that. But now I don't value fundamental research the way that I value the type of you know work that I am involved in. So it changed the, the perspective that I have about research. And um, it might be just because I had to, you know, evolve into this position uh, and adopt myself to whatever it is available to me in this environment. But eventually I realized that I don't like to, you know, go back and do again very fundamental research. And I, I lost my interest for that part for a good amount, uh, but not for the entire research because the way that I'm doing you know, my work now, I, I still do things that are innovative and they are new to the field. And uh, that is still part of you know, going through these research activities. It's not just necessarily focused on uh, things that may only be used in 20 years from now, which is mostly the fundamental you know, research and uh, things that are purely mathematics. I still have a few projects that I do with my master's students that are tend to be more like that because they're uh, interested and more capable of doing advanced mathematics. Definitely they can be involved in that and they can do it individually. But um, I think I enjoy more getting involved with the projects that I I'm doing with my undergraduate students at Cal Poly Pomona now. And um, as long as it can keep me relevant to the field, as long as it can you know, uh, motivate more students to look at our work and uh, enjoy, then I, I'm happy to do that. I, I, I think 
this is where I like to, you know, continue growing. But um, another part of your question is that whether I have ever considered or, you know, considering to go to institutions that they do more research, uh, I think this is, again, something unique about Kapali Pomona, that uh, as a faculty, if you are a faculty in, uh, in any research university, at least for the first 15 years of your time at that university, you are bounded to work so hard on securing any research funding possible uh, that the pressure of getting money to continue your research is gonna you know, drive majority of your decisions on what you wanna do. But because Cal Poly is not a research university, that pressure is not always on, on the faculty. During the 10-year track process, which ended for me last year, uh, you still need to you know, be uh, active and seeking funding, external funding to support uh, activities and research in, at, at university. But if you're in a research school, if you don't do that, or if you don't successfully do that, you lose your tenure and you have to you know, go and find another you know, position. But here, they're not that hard on you. They know that because it's a research, it's not a research university, the chances that you get a big funding from research uh, grants like National Science Foundation or NASA or Department of Defense, that's not very big. And uh, if you are active and you are publishing and you are doing projects and you are writing proposals, even if they are not successful, they don't you know, uh, put you off the tenure track uh, process. So because that pressure was not on me, I had that transition time to adapt to the system and find what I want to do. And now that I am in this position that I have my tenure, I already created a lot of you know, network for myself. And I can be involved with a lot of institution doing research outside of Cal Poly Pomona, of course, with the intention to bring in more interesting projects to the campus and involve my students with that. So I like to you know, basically keep that balance, but I can be involved in some institution. That's what I'm uh, basically planning to do to, base, uh, to add a little bit in uh, the activities that I do outside of Cal Poly in terms of research, being involved with uh, uh, different uh, institutions or uh, companies that they like to you know, have people doing uh, research for them. And, uh, that is basically something that I can afford to do now, uh, especially um, but, uh, being at the Cal Poly Pomona gives you that flexibility to, to explore these kind of avenues. That's a great answer. I, I mean, like we, me and Johnny said, we, everything that, I, I feel like every time we talk about a course at, at CPP recently, it's like, oh, that class was developed by Dr. Nakjiri or, you know, that program, whatever it is. So it's like, you know, like we said before, the work is just incredible. We really appreciate all you do. Um, so Thank it's you. super cool to see that, you know, you're not going to up and leave Cal Poly on us because, you Please know, don't. We, <laughs> Please we, don't. We, we, we enjoy right. the curriculum, enjoy your projects and everything like that. And um, do you mind if I ask where you're, you said you have graduate students, do you teach that out of Cal Poly's graduate program as well? Uh, no, not, not uh, outside Cal Poly. We actually have a graduate program at Cal Poly. It's not very popular because it's kind of a limited program that is fully um, 
funded and sponsored by the Air Force Research Lab. So the majority of the people that we teach, they are already full-time uh, employee at uh, you know a company, an aerospace company in Antelope Valley in Lancaster area, or you know Palmdale, Lancaster area. Northrop Grumman has a big facility over there. Lockheed Martin has one. NASA has one, and definitely the Edwards Air Force Base is over there too, which are the majority of the graduate students that we have coming from those places. Uh, so the graduate students that I get they are basically working full time and then also do this program uh, on the side to get their masters and get promotions in their job and can you know move to upper levels and uh, as part of their master's uh, program they have to do a research and um, they usually if they are interested in astronautics they, they the only person that they can find in the program is going to be me because I'm <laughs> the only person that is teaching classes in astronautics for graduate program right and so professor with that being said i guess is there is there a pretty big difference because you did say that cpp has a master's program but it's limited how much of a difference is it because i believe you went through a master's program at uci as well right so yeah uh, can you give a maybe i don't know if it'd be right to ask the difference between a cal state cal poly pomona master's program as opposed to a uc or if just Cal Poly Pomona being different even from the Cal State system? Um, so the, the idea, I don't know how, how familiar you are with the idea of the Cal State and University of California when they started these two, but technically the idea behind CSU was to create a program that trains a skilled graduate that they can go directly to work, okay? Mm -hmm. And the University of California was created as an idea of getting advanced degree out of some students and put them into a research position. So University of California has, a, uh, has more focus on developing their graduate program. And there are a lot of resources that they goes to their graduate program compared to what they do in the undergraduate program. But CSU is more focused on uh, undergraduate program. Um, there are always, you know, uh, exceptions. For example, uh, CSU Long Beach, they, they decided at some point that they wanted to spend a lot of money and spend a lot of uh, effort in their graduate program too. So they ended up developing their graduate program and they are doing a decent job over there. Uh, but majority of the CSUs, they are focused on undergraduate program and undergraduate teaching. Um, there is a big difference between universities that they focus on graduate program and universities that focus on uh, undergraduate program. First of all, there's a lot of money that goes to those universities that they have big graduate programs uh, in terms of external support. So those external support make the university capable of investing more in their uh, high-end facilities and uh, research facilities that are not necessarily possible at the CSU level. And because of that, they can keep getting more and more money because they have those infrastructure developed at their universities and campuses. Um, so a lot of research happens over there and a lot of fundamental research and very uh, innovative research happens at uh, University of California campuses. But there are not a lot of activities in that regard happening in most CSUs. There are few 
including Cal Poly Pomona, that are very, very active in undergraduate program uh, in terms of doing something relevant to research and innovative work and scholarly work. So uh, I think the big difference is the level of the or the type of projects that you see in these two type of um, educational institution. And um, I think, again, in terms of resources that goes into doing research in either one of these uh, facilities. But definitely, if I want to you know, choose to send uh, my, my, my kid to a university for undergraduate program, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like to you know, do that with a university that spends most of its resources on a graduate program. I like to right. do that at a university like Capoli Pomona because uh, one example that I can tell you is that when I, I was at UCI, I was um, I, I, I lectured a class a um, few times and I was also a TA for a majority of my time, a teacher assistant. Or, and um, the classes, undergraduate classes, they are huge. The dynamics class for the mechanical aerospace program that I was in had more than 300 students in, in, in the section, right? So 300 students means that you never get a, you know, a direct interaction with your instructor. You never get any sort of uh, basically experience to, to sit and talk with your instructor, to engage in the class or anything like that. But here at Cal Poly Pomona, we, we try to keep this, uh, the class sizes about 30 to 35. Sometimes we have to you know, go over, especially in this COVID time that we had limited budget. But we usually try to keep it around 30 students because 30 is a manageable number for someone to actually get personal with the student, engage in unit conversation, have time to meet them. And that's a very different experience. And I think, uh, that's why the quality of the undergraduate education in CSU in general and at Cal Poly Pomona specifically, and then we want to you know, talk about aerospace program, it's very different from other universities you can find in California. It's mostly because of that. Yeah, that's a really good point because on my orientation date, Dr. Nakjir was actually my uh, I don't know what you would call it, but you came down and you gave us like a briefing and overview of the aerospace program. And I remember asking somebody, oh, like, who is that? Is that like somebody that just helps out with it? And he was like, no, he, he's one of the professors here. You'll, you'll get to know him quite a bit. And I thought it was so crazy that like you're, you know, our professor, but you're coming out, you know, helping us out do this thing. And you showed us a, a picture of the aerospace department. And it was just this really small group, you know, a few professors. And I was like, wow. I really like this. This is really cool. So yeah, I think that it's really great, especially I know I wanted to have that like personal connection with my professors and talk to them, which I think like is super important. Um, and I think that's like really, really, really cool that we're able to do that here at CPP. Yeah, I agree. Right. We, are, we, are, we are enjoying that too, especially right. as a faculty. We, 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 uh, we enjoy, you know, being involved very closely to the activities that happens in the department with the students and also as you know a, a member of the faculty of this department i think a small size department makes it very uh very personal to us too so we are uh consider this as a family so i 
it, it is a lot of, you know, uh, um, acknowledgement of what Dr. Amadi has been doing, although, it, uh, you know, the, on the student side, he's the chair and he might be a little bit scary in some places, but I don't know that. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of, you know, uh, being our boss and the person who created this environment at Capital Pomona, I, I don't think that anybody else could do that. And just compare this with other unit you know, departments. And I'm sure that although all departments, they feel very, you know, smaller size and very close to each other, but they're not as close as the faculty of the aerospace engineering department. And uh, it's very important. It's, it's one of the reasons that uh, people like this department. A lot of students like this department. We have very large number of students that they want to, you know, transfer to aerospace program from different programs in Capoli Pomona. And uh, a lot of faculty, they like to, you know, come and teaching uh, this department. So um, I think that's very important for us to keep it personal, keep it, you know, um, something that creates those connections and interactions between the faculty, staff and students. Uh, and although we have the largest aerospace only program in California in terms of a student body, we still can, you know, make it very um, student focused and uh, student centered, you know, experience for majority of the things that we do in this department. Yeah, and I agree. And you mentioned a lot of people and professors want to transfer in. I've definitely told Johnny that, you know, maybe at the end of my, you know, career in industry, I would come, I would consider coming back to teach at Cal Poly just because the environment and it seems like the, the connections that I've developed, at least at the school, just have definitely changed my outlook on how I want to kind of attack my career, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it, it, it is a dream of both of ours to eventually kind of go into a teaching position as well. I think we both have a desire to be able to. I remember we, we actually had a homework assignment for a composites course. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is uh, something that Dr. Coburn came up with, but the homework was to make a homework. <laughs> and uh, I remember Andrew was like, I love this. This is great. And he was like, I, I could really imagine myself being a professor after you know doing this. And I was like, and I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I guess that might be your thing, you know? Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I think it is really important. I think that was a driving force for me as well. And I think what you're saying, Dr. Nigeria, regarding uh, for an undergrad course, at least where would you want to go or where an ind individual should go? Um, that was a driving force for me because I had the ability to go to UC, but instead I chose to go to Cal Poly Pomona. And I don't know if the, uh, you know, what the stereotypes are outside of this, but the Asian family stereotype is UCs are better. And uh, I just, I couldn't fathom the idea of going into a, you know, vector dynamics or, or dynamics with 300, like 299 other students. Um, I, I've been able to sit in for these enormous classes and the, the, the relationship that you have with your professor is non-existent. And oftentimes if there is a relationship, you first have to go through the TAs. And so uh, kind of with that, I was, I, I was kind of seeking the relationship that I had with my community college professors and those courses were often 30 students. And so going into Cal Poly Pomona, I really do appreciate the fact that we get one-on-one um, -on -one time more often than having to go to instead of TA. And um, I, I don't want to knock down any TAs by any means, but I think it is a different education that you do get actually at a, a Cal State. And 
specifically my experience being Cal Poly Pomona. And so I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah. Even during COVID, it's been great. I, I feel like last, cause I took orbital mechanics with you, with Dr. Nakjuri last semester. And I feel like I was in his office every other week and just asking him questions, <laughs> but it was always very informative, but um, taking a little bit of a different turn, but you know, you mentioned it earlier, one of our capstone projects at Cal Poly Pomona is space vehicle or launch vehicle design. And if you're in Johnny's position, air vehicle design, um, it seems like every year Cal Poly Pomona has, you know, uh, has a place in the top five in design competitions, whether that be for NASA, AIAA, whatever it is. And it seems like every time I hear about these spacecraft design missions winning or placing top five, top three, it is always your name that gets brought up in the project. And I was just wondering, you know, what, what, what's the secret sauce, so to speak, how, what makes your, your proposals, the award-winning proposals that they are every, every year, or it seems to be every year at least. Yeah, I think, um, I would say that it's mostly Dr. Edberg, uh, who started that path and I just continued that path. And, um, I, I think I always loved design. I think I mentioned something to you uh, uh, a little bit uh, earlier that aircraft design was the reason that I stayed in aerospace engineering. And um, the reason was that when I started, you know, looking into design, I realized the power that you have as a designer to not only just solve a problem, but basically look at how that problem is going to influence everything around it and how you can you know think about this problem as a systems engineer uh, and try to you know find things that are beyond just the solution that you're looking for and um, the level of complexity that goes into designing something for aerospace that was fascinating to me and uh, uh, at that time i basically decided that you know i'm going to you know continue this path and uh, I eventually, you know, get into my graduate program and come here. And until the moment that I uh, started my work here at Cal Poly Pomona, I was not expecting that I could, you know, get involved in teaching design again because my path was mostly on um, basically theory, the theoretical stuff and uh, numerical stuff, not so much on looking at the design, but. Um, since early on, I remember that I mentioned to uh, Dr. Erdberg that I I wrote the first, or basically I was the team lead for an AAA competition for aircraft design. And it was the first team from my country participated in that competition for the first time. So that showed how much I, you know, liked design at the time. <laughs> and uh, I had a very good advisor in my undergrad and uh, he was very supportive of that idea. And he also taught me a lot of interesting thing about how to look at uh, a design problem and uh, look at uh, being critical of uh, the common sense and being critical of the status quo. So uh, that, that was what I always you know, had in me, but it, took me a while until I get to this position. And uh, when I told this to Dr. Edberg and um, Professor Dobbs, they said that you definitely should start you know, teaching design soon. And uh, with that, I started you know, this um, experience of 
retraining myself for what I was more um, relevant, which was in astronautics, not so much in aeronautics, because I spent a lot of my, you know, uh, past years in uh, orbital mechanics and trajectory design and spacecraft and uh, space missions. So I had knowledge about those and I was always passionate about those. And at Cal Poly, I had this opportunity to learn from Dr. Edberg. So I started attending his classes, the, the same classes that uh, students were attending. So I sat, sat in his class for uh, about two years. And um, at the end of that, I was ready to basically start. And um, he created this recipe that is the winning recipe. And <laughs> I, I can you know, say that the contribution is his, not necessarily mine. But what I learned to do, and I'm happy about it, is that I, 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 have, a, uh, I have a specific approach to deal with student teams. I really like them to be free. I really like them to you know, explore their own way of answering questions. The only thing that I do is just to be critical. And whenever they say something, I will say something that is critical of their ideas or decisions, not to discourage them, but just to show them a different perspective into you know, the solution that they like. This is what I try to do in my design classes. And uh, I led them to choose how they're going to you know, respond. I led them to choose even to ignore my comments. If they don't like you know, the things that I said, or if they say, uh, or if they know something more than you know, what I see in their presentation, I let them to you know, ignore it and just uh, go with it. As long as they can justify it and they can convince me it's a good idea, I think that's, that's definitely you know, something uh, worth exploring. And um, we were lucky and also not just lucky, but building upon a great program here at Cal Poly Pomona that trains the students to this level that when they come to the design, they already have a very good skill set. They know systems engineering, as Johnny mentioned, it's not something that is always taught in um, undergraduate programs. It's usually a graduate level understanding of design and uh, systems. But our students, they get that training early on, very early on actually, right? And they get the opportunity to learn a lot of interesting tools and softwares. Uh, they get to work on interesting uh, technical projects. And when they come to the design class, they already have the knowledge. What Dr. Edberg actually says at the beginning of the class is that in this class, we are not teaching you anything. You're just helping you to you know, use everything that you learn in order to get this design into the place that it should be after one year of working on it. Um, so I followed that, but I tried to you know, bring a little bit of my uh, approach into the design. And Dr. Edberg is no longer teaching spacecraft design. So it's uh, mostly my course uh, to develop now. And uh, he's more focused on the launch vehicle design. And uh, I don't know if you know, but he's uh, starting to go to the retirement. So these are going to be basically the courses that he wants to you know, be involved before he officially uh, stopped teaching at Capale Pomona. Um, but yeah, there's no secret. The secret is the training that the students get throughout this program. And uh, mostly 
trust the students and believe that they, 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 they have creative ideas. And if you guide them to mature that idea, then it becomes something interesting and uh, that's what we should we should do. So there is no cookie cutter, you know, idea that you can you know teach in design that is going to be successful. It's always about how you can um, promote creativity and innovation and let the student explore it. That's what I think about teaching these courses. Now you mentioned, I, if you don't want to get into it, this is fine as well. You mentioned you you let the student you know run with it but if if they have an idea that you're not necessarily too fond of or you don't think it's valid you you know tell them prove me wrong have you ever had like a, a maybe a program or a project that you let them run with it and and it became a little bit too down that road where you were like wow okay maybe we're going the wrong direction with this and you had to step in and intervene oh um, yeah definitely <laughs> more more than once so uh, you know this is this is something that happens and this is actually one of the reasons that i do it because i want them to realize you know where they go wrong i give them feedback if they they they, they realize that they can you know still continue they they can do it and they can prove me wrong maybe they get to some point that they can show that no this is a good idea i can you know prove that this is a good idea but if they show me something else next week and still, you know, going down the hills, I give them more critical ideas and say that, okay, now this is wrong and this is going to not work with this spacecraft or uh, now your structure is going to be a problem. And they eventually see it. They eventually see how it, you, you know, influences their decisions and uh, it, it trickles down through the you know, the design uh, tree of their entire spacecraft. And eventually they make a decision to, you know, go back and start again. But I want them to see that. I want to see uh, the student uh, find these issues based on their understanding, not based on trusting somebody else. And that's that's something that you should, you know, learn in these courses that you're not, we are not just transferring information to you. We are teaching you how to think critically and how to be uh, uh, a designer, basically. And a designer means that you should see opportunities, but you should also see a realistic and feasible solution to address you know, a problem. There are a lot of crazy ideas. Of course, you can you know, go and explore all of them, but not all of them are going to end up with a great design, right? Yeah, no, that's a good point. And it's very true. I feel like I come from a very um, hands-on mechanical background. So I feel like some of the times in some of these projects that we work in, just some of the things that are thrown out there at first kind of don't like coming from me having my background in what I did. It just sometimes I'm able to pick up on some of these things like, oh, hey, that doesn't make sense or that might not work. But that that, you know, it's part of the trial and error process. And, you know, everybody learns through that. I completely agree. So that's part of your learning process. Exactly. Now, if you had, we talked about this a little bit for, before about your, you know, goals for the program and, and, and whatnot, but if you could bring on in the future or if, if you had, you know, at, at the snap of the, your fingers, um, the ability to add like a, a project or a program or, or a class to the school, to the department, what would, what would that look like or what would that 
class B? What do you think, like, where should we focus on, I guess? So, um, there is a lot of interest in, um, basically one of the, you know, answers to your question is the course that I'm going to offer for the first time soon in, in the spring of uh, this coming academic year. And that's about trajectory design and optimization. It's not a new course. You can definitely find courses similar to this in other programs. Again, mostly graduate level programs. But this is one area that I, I like to you know uh, invest, that there are certain things that we can actually bring a version of it into the undergraduate program and give the students the tools to, to explore a little bit more, right? And uh, this idea came out of a project that I did recently with JPL. I think you are aware of it because probably you use that, but uh, it was a software that we designed um, an interface for it uh, for NASA JPL, it's called Malto. And uh, this software is designed specifically for optimization of certain type of trajectories, right? But the idea that goes behind the codes of this program that uh, creates all these interesting algorithms that they end up giving you a nice little trajectory that takes you from one planet to another planet with a lot of complexity is very interesting at the same time, very uh, challenging to explore, very challenging to you know, teach. So I like to push myself a little bit and see if I can bring a version of this into an undergraduate program that they may not have all the mathematical tools needed to go to the details of uh, optimization and optimal control and all of these interesting topics. But if they can learn a little bit about this, that opens a lot of door for them. So if somebody knows about trajectory optimization, it's not just doors that they can open to trajectory design uh, opportunities and positions, they can actually know optimization. And that opens a lot of doors that are usually open to people that they come from either pure mathematics or sometimes uh, uh, graduate levels of students that they can do optimization uh, and understand what it is and uh, invest a lot on these numerical you know, ideas. So that's what I can contribute to the program because my expertise are mostly on these areas. Definitely, if you ask what would be relevant in astronautics, I would say that there is a lot of interest in their rocketry and uh, propulsion systems. Uh, space propulsion is a big thing. Uh, we don't have a lot of courses that they explore innovative technologies in propulsion. Maybe we should offer courses that are relevant to innovative technologies in propulsion. Uh, we, we should uh, explore the ideas of design in a different way, which I'm hoping to you know, include in my uh, spacecraft design class, because um, now that you're thinking about sending human to other planets, now that we are getting into uh, making this maybe a reality in the next 20, 30 years, that these kind of things are uh, more normal, then you actually need to think about this not as just a technical problem anymore, 
you have to think about this as a human problem and how you're going to you know create environment that a human can actually sustain and be comfortable how you can you know create environment that the human can actually interact with the machine and all the technologies that you're going to need in order to sustain life in a different you know environment in space or in another planet or something like that which is something that we do for things that we design over here when you think about a car and the car is designed to be very comfortable to hopefully or you know uh you know some some uh version of you know aircrafts that are designed to um basically put people for many hours in a you know a closed door in a few thousand feet above the ground so that's a that's a psychological you know things that you have to think about it and a lot of design decisions and interactions and uh, the user interface that you have to you know, think about it and these are the things that are relevant and becoming more and more relevant as we explore these areas so they should you know come to the level that uh, students graduating from this program they have an idea about at least how to approach these problems or be aware of it um, in aircraft design I believe um, if you take the class there is there is a there is a major component that talks about how your uh, basically human um, feel in there. Human so if you're designing right? a, yeah, yeah, if you're designing basically an aircraft that is going to be piloted by a human, it's going to be used by human, it's a crew uh, type uh, mission, or it, it is basically a commercial airliner, you have to think about how people feel when they sit in that you know uh, chair for a few hours, you have to feel, you have to think about what are the ways that you can interact with them. You have to think about how what are the needs they have and how you can you know make it as easy as uh, possible for them. And this becomes you know part of the relevant uh, discussion that we are going to have in the space travel and space environment too. That's yeah, no, it's a really good point. As as we. It's it's weird to think about, but yeah, twenty thirty years out, we so now we have we have to start thinking about those conversations. Now the the dynamics of space travel is quite literally changing as as we're going through it right now. So it's interesting how to see how that'll play out, and you know how that could potentially change um, spacecraft design and launch vehicle design. Because I know I think it's this year that you guys actually have a manned mission uh, spacecraft design project, right? Yeah, we 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 had we had um uh crewed mission by the way i like the word crew yeah sorry to, yeah to, to, <laughs> uh but uh the the crew missions we we had a few other you know exploration before but this is um this is one of the projects that came out of nasa's interest uh it was part of a nasa competition that uh most of their projects they were about sending crew to different places um so it seems like that NASA and basically the, the government, which funds majority of the space missions, even if you think about private companies that are still funded by the federal government, they are interested in exploring what could happen if we start opening more doors into future exploration of the solar system with crew on board. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's a challenge. It's very expensive to do crew missions. It's very challenging to make sure that you are not uh, messing something up. Uh, 
the consequences is significant, especially in space with a lot of attention. If somebody uh, gets hurt, then that could you know, be a very uh, different environment for many years as it happened many, many times before, like the Challenger you know, uh, incident or Columbia, all of these, they, they, they put a dent in the exploration uh, of technologies um, basically for future missions. So uh, we have to be very careful about it. And part of it is to train our students that are going to you know, be the people designing these things to be aware of all the uh, issues that are relevant to these kind of um, projects and missions in future. So yeah, definitely it's something that I'm interested to include in my courses too. Yeah, no, that's really, really informative and good information. It's interesting to see how things will change and it's food for thought, definitely. We are close to wrapping up. We don't want to take much more of your time, but we want to ask, offer you the opportunity if you have any questions for us. Um, I know you had some earlier, but you, we got that one of them out of the way. So if you have any more, you, you could feel free to, to ask them. If not, that, that's okay as well. Right, I just want to know when you're graduating and what is your plan for, for after school? So what do you think about that? Uh, is there any plan that you're excited to explore? Yeah, I mean, I think we both have. Johnny, go ahead. You could start this one off. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, it's a means of going into, um, you know, the industry and working and then trying to, I mean, the, the, the general idea is to shoot for my master's and then hopefully a PhD. Um, but that's just, that's purely technical. And, um, if I really want to show and then kind of share what my career desires are dreams and goals in my career, I want to be able to, um, be able to work on an aircraft that actually will come to fruition as mm -hmm. I think industry kind of happens to be that does that's not a guarantee. Um, I think something that, uh, professor Dobbs always brings up is the X 32, or uh, as he always jokingly calls a beached whale, which lost <laughs> out, which lost out. It was a Boeing, um, you know, prototype that lost out to the F thirty five that we know today. Um, mm -hmm. So that that being the case, I I, I want to be able to proudly be able to see a plane up in the air and say, hey, that's something that I worked on. And that's regardless of whether I'm in design or uh, if I'm in systems or or, or some position. But I want to be able to say that my handprint is on that airplane. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's that's like my big goal. And another thing is I also want to, and this is something that just comes from my background, but I, I used to teach coding. And so mm -hmm. I have a bit of a software, I guess, foundation. And so I'd hopefully be able to go into industry and if, if not systems, be in a place where I could implement um, and meld the idea of uh, software a lot more closely with aerospace beyond what it is now. Um, artificial learning or machine learning in, and, and that's kind of what we're kind of going into. We're doing actually a senior project that kind of does that with Dr. Situde, but um, yeah, that's, I, I kind of want to do that too. And I want to try to, I, I, the hope, the hope and the optimistic approach is to revolutionize the way that um, testing is done or the way that flight is done um, through this kind of stuff. And so that, that's my goal out there, but that, that's just a really quick way of putting it. And hopefully I answered the question. I, I mean, if you have any other questions to follow up with that, then I'd be happy to answer them though. Well, I think that, that, that was very interesting. And I think you uh, mentioned that you're also interested to you know, be involved at 
at some level to teaching as well. Yes. At some point in life, and both you and Andrew, you mentioned these, which is, um, I would say, it's a responsibility of any anyone who is successful in in their you know career that you should you know share that experience. You should somehow bring it to the next generation, bring it to uh, people that they can use uh, that motivation even just to just to go up and uh, get to explore interesting and uh, amazing opportunities. And I think this podcast is an example of that. That's why I, I really liked it because it gives something for maybe a group of people to be excited about to you know to come to aerospace program to to you know go to an aerospace job or uh, to know more about you know the college life or anything like that those are those are part of you know giving back to the community and trying to you know uh, create a create a realistic picture of what they should expect so right. yeah definitely think about that and um, I, I think um, you're on the right path. So thank you. Good luck. Yeah. How about you, Andrew? Yeah. So me and Johnny are both class of 2022. Um, so I actually, me and Johnny have a, a similar idea in mind. I, I, I originally, I planned prior to Cal Poly Pomona, I was like, Hey, I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to get into industry. That's it. I'm done. But now that I got here and I've met some great professors and, you know, I, I really realized Dr. Coburn actually did a podcast with um, Dr. Paul Niesensen from the mechanical mm -hmm. engineering department. And he said something that really resonated with me. He, he said, I realized when I was an undergrad that I just started actually learning like what I was doing. And I was like, wow, that really resonates with me because prior mm -hmm. to, you know, being in CPP, I was just, you know, running around learning what I can. But now I'm in this position where I'm actually learning. I'm retaining material. I'm like, you know, in a good position, I think. And I'm proud to be. And so now CPP has actually made me consider or uh, higher education and going into my master's. So that will remain to be seen where I go and what I decide to do. But of course, I want to get a job. But like Johnny, um, I don't necessarily know my exact path yet because <laughs> I have originally intended, uh, I went prior when I was in JC, I thought, wow, orbital mechanics, that's what I want to do. But then I got into CPP and I was like, wow, structures is what I want to do. So now I'm like, you know, what do I want to do? What I, I still don't know. I have time to decide though, like you said, but I think my biggest goal, and I've said this on the podcast before is I want to see my hardware, whatever it is land on another planet, whether that be, you know, a moon, a, a comet, an asteroid, whatever it is, I want to see, be there. And I, I don't know, I'm sure you've seen it, like where they do the NASA JPL thing where everybody's out on the lawn and they have the, you know, this TV up and everybody's watching the countdown. I know that if, if I get that experience, if I'm able to see my hardware touch down on another body, I will just absolutely break down in tears. And that's what I want. <laughs> So that's my big goal um, as terms of where my career goes. And then, of course, like you said, um, just, you know, being here again in the department, professors have had such influence like Dr. Coburn and you, Dr. Nakjiri, who's really made me consider, hey, maybe after I do my time in industry, I could come back and, you know, share my experience because 
I've had, you know, the best professors I've had in, in my life, I've been here definitely. So I would want to give that same opportunity and same experience to future generations if possible. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So good luck to both of you and uh, continue what you're doing. And uh, I'm sure that you find more support from people around you to uh, put you on the you know, the, the right path anytime that you need some help and guidance. There are a lot of people in this community that they can actually uh, guide you through that path. So use that opportunity and um, at some point you will return and share more with other people. So yeah so when we come back for our interviews hopefully you're still here and you're you're the one that's gonna <laughs> potentially offer us those jobs we'll see <laughs> <laughs> well on that note um thank you so much for your time dr Nakjiri. it's been absolutely incredible a lot of good information um we really appreciate it thank you thank you so much thank dr you. it was a pleasure for me too all right awesome and on that note johnny i guess we're out Bye, guys.